Hello and welcome to, oh my goodness, part five of this six-part series on dispelling all those myths about loco. So you can pick up at whatever point that you like, but they're best listened to in order. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, why not go back and listen from the beginning? And then come back and join us. We'll be right here waiting for you. <sighs> so, Michael, we're on our way to the roof of my building. This is another clue for this week's myth, isn't it? You got it. I'm Carly, and I work for Chalks Away as an engineering manager. Chalks Away is a large, established avionics and defense electronics manufacturer. That's C-H-O-X, by the way. Nice. I love unconventional spellings in brand names. My team makes sure that everything in the company adheres to specific guidelines and processes before we greenlight them. The gatekeepers. You've got to have a keen eye for detail with that kind of job. Last week, our digitalization officer made it known that she wants to optimize our team. Specifically, she wants to build an application. And here we are. A plane? Whoa! Hop in. So, while I belt up, let's recap. Carly needs to find a way to optimize her company's pretty complex system. My test operator would say that I'm massively oversimplifying what he does. But essentially, he views and executes all the steps for these test runs. At the moment, the test operator uses an on-premise enterprise system, and he's happy with this. I'm fine with it, too. That system's been running steadily and reliably long before I even joined the team. And I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I'm hesitant to push yet another application onto the team because I already know what the response is going to be. The application is managed by a third party. It could go bust. It could just stop producing updates. It's just not a long-term solution. So I'm thinking of sticking to full code, which won't be going away. Not a simple problem to answer, I imagine. So what to do? Isaac was nice enough to return to the studio to field this question. Full speed ahead. So Isaac, how do we respond to that myth that low code is bad and won't work for an industry like aerospace and defense that requires consistency and longevity? It does. We have one person, a test operator, who has all that knowledge about how things working. We want to improve quality. We also want to streamline process. We do have a barrier here. We, we have an engineering manager who's a detractor, right? Doesn't like a technology that maybe the CIO or maybe the staff of the CIO is looking for. We also have an acknowledgement, right? That the role, the function, the way of working that this test operator is doing today is going to change dramatically. They're gonna be using a technology to do this. They're gonna streamline some of their work. And so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about how do we bring them onto this journey so that they're subject matter experts, that they're providing the guidelines about how this thing needs to perform, what flexibilities does it require, and quite frankly, less focused on the technology that's around this. So that's Isaac's strategy. There are certain standardized requirements for the test operators team so Carly and her test operator will need to establish those parameters first. Now, when I think about avionics, defense, 
there's safety, there's regulations, there's audit trails that we have to put together. An auditor is going to come in and wants to know what decisions were made around quality. Well, now I have an entire layer of technology that I have to consider that says, is this auditable? Do I know who did what, when, and why? Is that captured in the system? And if I'm building that application, again, I have to build that capability in. That means we're going to need a bigger uh, skyboat. Oh dear. It was necessary for the reference. What kinds of worries would Carly have about building this technology? I'm worried as a CIO about whether I have the right platforms, the right skills to be able to build that, that an auditor is gonna come out and look at. Virtually all technology also has some level of outsource, right? So there's a little bit of hesitancy around outsourcing part of what you're doing. I'm not connecting wires. I'm not building my own coal plants anymore. I'm always outsourcing part of my technology. And what layer of that technology do I want to outsource to? Who do I want to partner with? Even when I partner, what capabilities do I want to leverage? These are all technology decisions that I'm hoping the CIO, enterprise architect, and compliance teams are really focused on. And you also asked Isaac about the test operator, the one Carly was worried about not coming around to the idea of loco. And possibly feeling like they were being made redundant. Yes, in Isaac's opinion, the test operator is the primary person who a low-code application will benefit. So Carly should make that known. When this application, however it's built, is completed, that test operator is going to have a new way of working. It'll give him the chance to focus on something else, correct? Correct. It's a little like running autopilot. It's an important device for the plane, but you don't just hand over the controls and leave the cockpit. Uh, I'm happy to hear you say that, Michael. If anything, this is probably being done to support growth and to support regulatory requirements. And if anything, this test operator is going to have a more interesting job than doing a lot of ad hoc testing. And so bring that test operator along in that journey is really key and really the role of this engineering manager. How can Carly start that? Really, it involves showing the test operator that you understand their pain points, but it's also about speaking to them and making sure you know the requirements that they need to fulfill. This is especially important for an aerospace and defense company like Choksoy, where you've just got to get every step of regulation right. Really, it's a matter of life or... Careful. I think it's time I landed this thing. Let's go back to Isaac. We talked about how low code helps to keep your management safe and prepared for an audit. Okay. First, there's an acknowledgement of what regulators and compliance require you to do. What are the compliance factors that your platforms and your processes need to meet before you even turn on the switch? The CIO, the CISO, the head of compliance needs to know that the platforms, the technologies, the partners that they're looking to work with meet the standard set of requirements, okay? Not the engineering manager. The engineering manager generally doesn't know all these factors. So first is, let's make sure it checks all the boxes. Now, even when we check the boxes, we need to make sure that what we're using this platform for is defendable for when the auditor does come in, when the regulator does come in and says, I wanna understand this process. And so I'm always looking for, is what we're doing defendable to the auditor and to the compliance officer that's gonna come in and try to validate what we're doing? And that gets into best practices. It also gets into the capabilities of the platform. 
right, that provide the scaffolding, I'm gonna use that word, right, the scaffolding to make sure that your build is safe, right? And so I haven't built anything anymore, I'm just making sure that when a test scenario is created in this, it is in its version, it's updated, it's released, it goes through a defined process around this, and my platform is enabling that capability. So low-code gives you that build you need to ensure you're doing things right every time. So it's like a skincare morning ritual, best when done consistently. Yes, a particularly complicated morning ritual though. Seven step? Maybe even 10 step. But put it this way, low-code has it all for you. So all you need is to stick out your face and it will apply it the same way every single time. <laughs> nice how you just ran with the analogy. I think I'd appreciate something like that. Have we got a cosmetics company for episode six? Afraid not. Well, time to put my request in for another season then. Now you've checked all the boxes, you're using it in a regulatory way. Now I'm looking for Swiss army knives. Okay, right now it's definitely a good moment to put the face analogies to rest. What Isaac is pointing towards here is the type of platform that can stay agile and responsive to new regulatory requests. I'm looking for platforms that are highly versatile, that are easy to use, that I can use in a lot of different scenarios because I did a lot of heavy lifting to bring it into the organization. I don't want to use it for one niche use case and then find out that platform is only used to solve one problem. I want a SIFS army knife that says, I can go solve a lot of different problems here. And so when you come to me with a problem and say, okay, I'm gonna attempt to do this with a low code platform. We're gonna sit down, get your basic requirements in place. It already meets all the requirements. We already know how to develop for regulatory standards around it. We're gonna go start up a development with you. nice to be back on solid ground. Admittedly, it was my first time flying a fictional plane. So what do you think, Michael? Case solved? I think so. Low code helps with regulation by keeping guidelines and procedures consistent across the board. It essentially strips away that repetitive process of running through all the steps for you so that you and your skeptical test operator and your skeptical test operator can better focus on other more complex tasks at hand. Thanks so much for joining us today. Remember, we're busting one myth a week. And if you're listening on the day of our release, this is our penultimate episode. Make sure you listen next week. It's a doozy. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. 